Well, hey there, dealmakers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Want to give a shout out to Leah, who left us a review on iTunes. Appreciate it. She said, this podcast makes you think much bigger than you ever thought you could about real estate. It's interesting, but not so long that you get bored. It's just great for potential investors, both passive and active. Thanks, Leah. Appreciate it so much. If you enjoy the show, also leave us a review in iTunes, and uh, hopefully we'll shout you out next time as well. We also want to highlight people that have done a deal in our environment, and this time it was Jonathan Nichols. He's a member of our Dealmaker Mastermind and also a mentoring student of Brad Tasha. And uh, in June, he closed on a 100-unit deal in Tulsa as a general partner. So congrats, Jonathan Nichols. And if you are interested in finding out more about working with a full-time syndicator yourself, check out our mentoring program. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. You can schedule a call with us and see if mentoring is right for you. Uh, with that, let's bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? We talk a lot about on the show about partnering with each other and the networks we build. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the things that you do to surround yourself with the right people? Yeah. So this is actually something that's all, I've always noticed in general that this is just such an important piece. And it's tough because you go through phases in your life. Maybe you had in your high school friends that aren't serving you anymore, or you got into a crowd you know, downtown and you didn't, they're not either. And you have to be aware of that. Right. And so there was a period of my, in my life when I kind of, all the, the good influences in my life just kind of dissipated with a, a partnership breakup. And then I, all I had left were like the friends that, you know, I was going out with or whatever when I was younger. So I actually moved, <laughs> I moved cities completely because I was like, I don't know how to break this off. Uh, in the right way, but there's too many of them, too many around me. But I know if I start over, I can rebuild consciously. And and so from there, it was, I, who do I want to be around? Well, I want to be around real estate professionals that are probably in my industry uh, that are doing big things. That's important to me. So how do I do that? Well, I'm going to go to a conference, every one or two conferences every month and build that up. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, and so that was one method that I I went to is I just paid for conferences and I met people there and I started to talk to those people. Not boom, I had a new circle of friends. Yeah, exactly right. I think it's so important that you're around, around the right people. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's not your current friends and family who tend to be the least supportive. I, it was the most painful thing to me. And, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, you still talk to them, but it's not, they're not really building you up for some reason. I, I don't know. I don't know why that is, but I think it's super important that you surround yourself with people who are like-minded, who want, have ambitions, who have certain goals. And then also, so I think that's number one. And number two is to have, uh, that's your peer group, is to have kind of like your advisors, right? These are people who are no longer at your level. They maybe have already done what you have done. I think those are super important as well. So, you know, I know you, uh, you joined EO for a little while ago, and I joined GoBundance about a year ago. Talk about what's, what that's done for you. Yes. So that EO is, you know, it's a paid group. Essentially you go and you're, you know, everybody pays an annual fee, but you have a certain, you have to be worth a certain amount of money. You have to have a, a live business and being a part of a group like that uh, has changed a lot just because you, they focus a lot on not hiding. You can't really hide. Like I, I think uh, a lot of people, they try to showcase. And I think uh, you know, showcase that only the best sides and here you have to go in vulnerable. And so being vulnerable with other people that are kind of going through what you are 
I think has super been super helpful in in general. You joined Abundance, which has been like somewhat similar, but but you guys do your thing over there as well. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's uh, you're accountable to a lot of successful people, and you know that are not necessarily impressed by you know by what you've done because they're successful in their own right, and they're being held accountable and vulnerable to each other. It's been it's been uh, amazing. Uh, really as as well. So for me as well, if you're looking for a community to kind of join, we have one that's actually fairly affordable. It's called the Dealmaker Mastermind. You can find out more about that at dmichaelblank.com forward slash DMM. And it's basically our online community. Of course, we meet once a year at Dealmaker Live, but you can join right now and basically connect with other people like you who want to do multifamily. And so you might want to check that out as well. Uh, and speaking of GoBundance, today on the show, we have David Osborne is one of the founders of GoBundance, and he's a principal owner in the sixth largest real estate company in the U.S. And he's got over 4,500 agents, and I don't know what the sales were in now, but in, in, in 2017, it was $10 billion in sales, and he is an operating principal and an investor in five Keller Williams regions and nine market centers. He owns 20-plus real estate-related ventures. He's a principal of a real estate investment private equity group. And the operator of over 35 profitable real estate related business in the US and Canada. And he was one of the founders of Cobundance. He sits on the board of One Life, fully lived. He's a member of YPO, WPO, and Austin and Tiger 21, and contributes to various causes as well. So I am really excited to have on the show today David Osborne. Let's get right into the conversation. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. All right, David, welcome to the show today. Great to be with you, Michael. Thanks for having me. All right, I got to ask you the first question, okay? What's it like to own your own plane? (laughs) (laughs) You know... It was stressful at first, and now it's just expensive. But I'm sure occasionally I'm flying around in it going, who the hell am I to deserve to fly around in a plane? But it is what it is. I had a mentor early on that had one. If I hadn't had a mentor that had one, I probably would have never even considered buying one. But uh, he had one, and I remember weighing whether I should get one or not, struggling with it. And then you know, a coach of mine said, you think you'll make more money or less money with the plane? And I said, well, probably more. And then he said, so could you get home to your family sooner or later with the plane? I said, definitely sooner. So those two questions kind of swung me over and I got one in 2013 and I've made more money every year since I bought one. Now that could be true, true and unrelated because you know the economy has also gone up since 2013. So that doesn't mean that the plane actually made me money, but it's a fun toy to have. We'll go with that. So Garrett, put that on your list. Uh, if we want to make more money, we have to buy a plane. That's that's our next purchase, plane. Yeah, actually. Right after this <laughs> apartment, this apartment complex. <laughs> Let's do that. I like that better. David, tell, <laughs> give us a little background uh, about yourself, people who, who may not have known you. Give us, give us a little background on you before we kind of get it deep into your story here. Sure. I'm a son of a soldier. Really, my whole childhood was shaped by being the son of a soldier. Military brats know exactly what I'm talking about. We moved all the time. He was based mostly in Germany and England, and he was also a Green Beret. So he was a very fierce uh, father figure and a good one and a solid guy, honorable. And But there was no screwing about. None, all the things my kids get away with, I did not get away with when I was a kid. 
He retired to America. I got to Texas when I was 14 years old. I was a little bit of a rebel without a clue. I got thrown out of three high schools because my folks believed in education, but I apparently did not. So I uh, went to University of Texas, started my first company when I was in high school, which was cutting lawns, made 20,000 bucks living at home. Uh, that was, I felt rich. That's rich. 20,000 cash living at home in 1985-ish, no tax you know, consequences, not, not on purpose, just didn't understand how to pay taxes anyway. Probably didn't know any because I had so many expenses. But um, And then went to uh, University of Texas and graduated with a 2.2 GPA. My first job was door-to-door computer sales at a company where I had to knock, walk right past the no solicitation sign, go right up to the secretary or who everybody was working up front and say something like, I'll say, I'll say it to you, man, nice hair, dude. And that freedom shirt. I love that shirt. Hey, who's in charge of uh, acquisitions in this company? So that was kind of my role, like, you know, a little softer than that, maybe bring cookies or something like that. Uh, one year into that gig, my boss was female and she wanted more from me than just sales, if you know what I mean. So it kind of ruined my vibe at that store. So I quit. My best friend was one year behind me in college and he, his family had a tradition of hitchhiking around the world. So you know, I wasn't going to go with him, but because that kind of crappy ending to that job where I was the top salesman most months, I sold everything and went hitchhiking around the world. So for two years and three months, I went all around living on 20 bucks a day, just kind of figuring out how to get from, for instance, South Africa to Uganda and different places like that. Came back from that dead broke and went back into high-tech sales. And while that was going on, my mom, who was a realtor, her assistant quit and she said, hey, why don't you come work for me? And make a little bit of money while you're looking for that tech job. And I was minus 1500 net worth at that time. I had a credit card that had a $1,500 limit and I was just over it. I think I was at 1530 bucks or something like that. And I said, sure, I'll come work for you, but I'm not staying in this business. I'm, I'm going to find a real job. Real estate is, being a realtor is not a real job. So got into real estate, took a buddy, drove him around, sold him a house, made 7,500 bucks. We had a blast. We laughed. We joked. I drank a beer with him every day. I was like, wow, maybe this is a good job. Uh, ended up selling with my mom for three years. At that time, Keller Williams had 800 people. They were looking to expand. They would take anybody, unlike now where they're very, they even were willing to take a chance on me. So after three years of selling, I went and started opening franchises in North Texas, New Mexico. My mom and I were still a team. We were still not millionaires by any means, but we had a few hundred grand and I had 35 grand. And she had a couple hundred and uh, my dad blessed it because he was still the military guy in the household. So we went up and started opening franchises in Dallas, Texas and became the largest franchise owner uh, inside Keller Williams. And today we sell 32,000 homes. Uh, about 10 or 11 billion in real estate. I've got a killer partner called Smokey Garrett. He runs it up there in Dallas, uh, Memphis and Albuquerque. I also bought four master franchises. In the last crash, things looked pretty scary and um, I was panicking like everybody. But once it stabilized, I realized not only did I have some capital, but I was still making money. So that was good. We were down 60, 70%, but we were still profitable across the board. We had a few franchises that weren't Started investing in 09, went bigger in 2010, and then went all in in 2011 and 2012, buying everything I possibly could. I, I, I just never been more clear that it was the greatest buying opportunity of all time. 2012 especially was when I was green lights because in 09, I was scared. I don't People don't remember 09 and 2010. I was still scared because there was a lot of blood still flowing in the streets. But by 2012, I was like, oh, we're about to go up. This is definitely going up. I didn't expect it to go up so fast, but I was like, we're, we're past the bottom. This is the best time to buy. 
I didn't know anybody with any money then. I was the richest guy I knew. I knew so I raised 300 grand from two buddies, three buddies. I made up 27% in nine months, 41% annualized, and only two of them re-upped in my next deal. Then I was like, I need to know more wealthy people. So I joined a high net worth group called Tiger 21. I started my own group, Go Abundance. And uh, I started making a mission to meet wealthier people. By I'd run out of capital by 2013. So I was starting to raise money from other people, doing a little bit of funds and stuff like that. That's when I got into private equity. And then in 2018, it became obvious to me that single family rentals was here to stay as an institutional asset class. So I created a fund to invest in single family rentals. We raised 32 million, borrowed 50. And now we're on our second fund, which we're raising 100 and we'll borrow 200 just to buy single family rentals and exit them by selling them up to the big guys. So when the market popped back, all my old stuff came back, all my new stuff came back. And suddenly around 2014, I was like, wow, I'm a pretty rich guy. Like I was not methodical. It wasn't some genius strategic plan. I didn't invent the newest iPhone. I just kind of plugged away, uh, took opportunities where I could. The one thing I have done pretty well is be aggressive when the time was right. So when I saw Keller Williams was a good model, I went big on my Keller Williams. And when I saw that the real estate was mispriced, I went hard on real estate in 2011, 2012. That all popped up. Suddenly I was a wealthier guy and uh, my life's never been quite the same. That's about the same time I brought that plane we were talking about. So that's my background in business. And then I'm the father of three wonderful kids and I'm married to a beautiful wife. And uh, I also founded Go Abundance, as you know, which is an entrepreneurial mastermind for uh, people that are worth a million and above. Now you uh you own many different businesses as a as a partner. Uh, you also make different kinds of investments. What do you what do you currently like? What are you bullish on right now? And maybe what are you a little bit more cautious of? Well, I'm cautious on everything, Michael. I think we've had a long run. I like I like seven year runs with two year dips. I can work with that. Give me seven bull, two two bear, and then seven more bull, and we can all make a lot of hay from that. But We've now been going up pretty, you could make an argument for 13 years. That's a long time without a dip. The government has decided to spend their way out of the dips. So yeah, everything makes me nervous right now to some degree, but cash makes me nervous too. You can't really sit on cash. So I'm, I think single family rentals and dwelling units has a long way to go. Multifamily too. I think we're four and a half million units short of where we need to be. It's expensive to build, so it's hard to get to that entry-level housing, but there's a great need for workforce housing. So I'm still bullish on that. I'm bullish on the Sunbelt states where the people are moving to, not away from. I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on not overly regulated states, or that that's pretty much everywhere nowadays, but it's less in some states than others. Yeah, I'm, I'm still bullish on dwellings and under not highly leveraged. You, you know What kills you in real estate is negative cash flow or over leverage. And I think if you don't over leverage and you don't have negative cash flow, you've, you've got staying power. And I think in the long run, real estate goes up. There's not really any 10-year cycle. There's certainly no 20-year cycles where real estate is worth less after 20 years than it was after you know, what year one. So uh, I'm just generally very bullish on the dwelling spaces in rentals. I could throw some other places at you, but that's my expertise, my background. That's what I love. Yeah, I mean, we're in the same way. It's hard to believe that uh, you know the, the markets can continue going up after 13 years, and we've talked about it on the show as well. But like you said, we're short four and a half million housing units. There's a huge demand and very limited supply, uh, you know, in an inflationary environment. So I think affordable housing is going to continue being there. And even though we're in a multifamily space, we're we're very uh, you know cautious as well. We're really careful about our underwriting. It's taken us as a result a lot longer to get deals as well. Uh, so we're cautiously bullish on that. 
But I have a question for you because on, on, your, on your website, you have a tagline and it says, who you become in your journey is far more important than what you achieve. Like, talk about that. Like, why have you found that to be true and why is that important to you? First off, I want to comment on what you just said. Underwriting is everything. So it's great that you're underwriting so thoroughly because even as bullish, bullish as it is, you know, you got to underwrite the crap out of stuff and you got to underwrite expecting things to go wrong, not well. There's too many people that underwrite to like, uh, we're a 3.9 cap and I'm certain we'll be a 2.9 cap and we're going to raise rents 20%. That's not how you underwrite. You underwrite, you might have a best case scenario, but you want to have a worst case and a most likely and kind of keep your acquisition decisions around those two frameworks. If it goes great, fantastic. You ride the upside. So yeah, I, I'm glad you guys underwrite so many. It's about where you put the padding too, right, David? So it's like you figure out where can you give some and take some. It's it's a bit of an art and a science yes. that people want to understand for that. It's definitely an art and a science. The science is in what you how you put it together, but the art is in figuring out what to put into your analysis. <laughs> you know, there's a certain variable there, but I do see a lot of people raising money on crazy cap rates with crazy expectations out there. And, and I'm glad you guys aren't doing that. I just think you've got to keep the fundamentals in place. And what people, if you're 30 or under today or 35 and under, you probably haven't lived through a sharp downturn. Like you were, if you're 30, you were 18 when it happened, right? Really? How, how much are you paying attention when you're 18? Like, I don't know about you. I wasn't. And when it drops, it drops hard and fast. And, and you just have to be, you can weather that there's resilience for sure, but you just got to be aware that that could happen. But your question was different from that. It was a much more enlightening and fun question to talk about. So I was a terrible student in high school and college, frankly. I liked working, but I didn't like school. And I never saw the value of learning or being educated. I only did well when I liked the teacher. And if I didn't like the teacher, I was not a good student. But when I got into business and I opened my first franchise, first when I got into sales, when I got into sales, if you learn the right script, like how to say to that secretary as you walk up to him, hey, I really like your hair. Or what is it about them that's special that they want you to draw attention to? And then when you get into real estate sales, what scripts can you say that will help the client to remember that if you see 10 homes, you don't have to remember all 10 of them. Like one of my favorite lines is, I'm going to show you 10 homes today, but I won't only want you to remember two because you can't remember 10. So remember your favorite and your second favorite, and that's it. And that line alone helped me help my clients make a buying decision. So then I became addicted to learning. I began to realize, wow, if I learned the right thing to say or the right thing to frame thing, I could actually serve people to make better decisions. And then when I opened my first franchise and I learned how to hire and how to manage a budget and how to sort of approach leadership and, and all of that would manifest in my business immediately, like within a month. So originally when I started, like many people, I was the bottleneck and I wanted every decision to run through me. Well, as my world got bigger and bigger, I wasn't delegating trust. I wasn't leading effectively. And I remember saying to one of my managers, where's that lease? We need to sign that new lease. And she said, I gave it to you a month and a half ago. It's been sitting on your inbox. And sure enough, I went and looked at my inbox and there was that lease that I felt like I should read for some reason as a C student with no legal background. But I, I was the bottleneck because I wanted that control. And as I let go of that, I was like, ah, okay. And I'm making it sound simple. It was actually, I had an identity crisis. I had to hire therapists. I went through shingles for stress. But when I went through this six month journey, what I, what I realized was uh, that leadership is different from management. And that if I try to be the bottleneck for all things, my world will be limited to my capability of work. Whereas if I can hire great leaders and delegate to them and trust the decisions they can make, my world can get bigger and bigger. So all of this is a long way around of telling you that 
my external world is exactly a reflection of who I've become as a human being. Um, and so I am now addicted to learning who you become on the journey is way more important than what you achieve or what journey you're on. And it's simply because you, your world will be a reflection of who you are. And I'm committed to that to this day, Michael. I'm still working on so many different areas of my life to improve myself as a human being, uh, whether it's to be a better dad. I have, a, you know, I've got the best relationship with my kids I have right now. And frankly, my, I have an older daughter who's 33 and I was a poor dad for her. I have a 12 year old and I was a good dad for her and I have a son and I'm being a great dad for him. And I can see the difference in each one and how I approached it and what I did right, what I did wrong. Does that make sense? They're all great kids. I'm not beating myself up. I'm just saying what I'm learning continuously. The other area I'm putting a lot of effort into is health. So I'm really focused on, I have a four-year-old and I'm 54. So my game that I'm playing with myself is what can I do to be around till I'm a hundred? Cause at 54, when I'm 70, he's 20. So he's graduating college. I'm 72. Some people, the average lifespan in America is 77. I would like to see my son get married, get a, get a job, get you know, have children, whatever his destiny is. I'd like to be around for some of that as much of it as I can. I'm not God, so I can't pretend that I can control it. But what I can do is pay attention to what I eat, intermittent fast, hire the best doctors. I have a concierge doctor right now. Uh, I'm doing no sugar September. I'm doing no alcohol for two thirds of every week. There's just so many different things that I've added to my life. And it all ties back to that original quote you said is like, who you are is way more important than what you know or what you do. Yeah. So, so you talked about constantly working on yourself. Yeah. And, you know, what are some of the things that you're doing? You talked about learning a lot. You're, you've been, you know, uh, school probably wasn't the greatest and who the heck wants to learn in school? Like that's, that's ridiculous. But like, what are you doing now to work on yourself and, and in what areas of you are you working on right now? Yeah. So there's a saying I love that, and I, it was from a book I read, but I can't remember the book. It says, just because you take the train to Chicago, you don't have to carry the train around Chicago. You don't have to carry it with you. And to me, that means like my destination was financial freedom. So I've hit that. I'm financially free. It's very unlikely that I will blow the wealth I've built in this lifetime. Possible. I'm not testing God. I'm not putting that out there to try to challenge the universe. What I'm saying is it's unlikely. So to me, that means like the work ethic, the 80 hours a week, the intensity, the aggression that I brought in the 15 years that I was building wealth, to keep that personality with me, to carry that train around Chicago, to, to not lose, to, to work 80 hours, to, to be intense at that level that I was, it's like going on vacation and never relaxing. So an example of how that shows up in my life is just being more present to my children, being more present to my wife, not telling my wife hey, I got to work 12 hours today and I'm doing it for you. Not for, you know, this is for the family. She said to me one time, like, I think the family's okay. I don't think you need to justify a 12-hour workday just because of that. So that's an example. And what all are the things I need to shift? Well, obviously the wiring in me is what helped me build that wealth, right? The need to maybe the strictness of my father, wanting freedom, moving all the time, not having roots because of the military background. The way I'm, I'm healing that is I have a, a coach, a life coach or whatever you want to call her. We work from the um, conscious loving model, which is the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, which are two great books. I meditate now on a regular basis. So I, I track my meditations. I'm super goal driven. I, I'm kind of compulsive about tracking everything I'm up to. So I meditate almost every day, probably 200 days in a year. I mean, if I go to Cabo for a week, I'm not going to promise I'm going to get up and meditate. If I, uh, I work, I've got my workouts, obviously I read 40 books a year. I'm, I just read the 
Almanac of, of Ravikant. That was a great book. I'm, I'm just constantly sharpening the saw. I'm listening to podcasts. I'm on kind of a health kick right now. So I'm, I'm listening to that Huber Pat podcast, the most popular medical podcast that's out there. I'm going to pull it up right now. Huberman, Huberman Lab. I don't know if you've heard of that one. So those are an example of all the things I'm continually doing to sharpen the saws. It's just nonstop with me. It's, it's, I'm addicted to learning now. So David, you said, so you spent a lot of time though, build, getting to this spot yeah. financially for yourself. So, you know, there's always this thought that goes through my head. It's like, well, you know, is that, is it necessary to sacrifice everything to get to that financial freedom level? where you're like, well, listen, if I spend 12 hours for the next five years, that's all I do. That's I eat, sleep and breathe when I'm doing or 10 years or whatever it is, but you have to sacrifice a lot. And then you can focus on the other stuff. Do you see that being as, as a, uh, a major path forward, or is there some version of that, that maybe you can enjoy your life in other areas and, and also, you know, still get rich? Because it's, it's definitely on a lot of people's minds, I'm sure that are trying, they're just like, dude, I'm just working 12 hours a day for my business. I'm not, I don't know if I've figured it out. Well, I think it's a great question. And I think now I make more money. I work less hours than I, you know, I'm, I make more money in a year now. I do more deals in a year than I did in 10 years and I make more money. I'm not working harder. I'm just really much smarter and I have a really good team. So, you know, the sooner you can get to, to working smarter, and having that team, the sooner you have that freedom. I think young kids today, younger people are actually really focused on life balance. And I think that's super healthy. I don't know that, you know, having masses of wealth really changes anything. I mean, it definitely makes you feel a little different and it opens up some doors, but it's not in and of itself a solution to anything, right? There's plenty of miserable rich people and there's plenty of happy poor people. So Yes, I think there probably is a way to do it. I personally felt like when I was working and probably for 10 years, I really grounded as hard as I could. And by the way, there were people that could outwork me back then. I would work, you know, 12 hour days. Some guys I knew were doing 16 and 18 hour days. I didn't, I never had the inner, I didn't have the engine for that. My engine would break like I, so, but I could get in 60 or 80 hour a week, somewhere in that range for a long period of time. And my theory was, well, I'm out working everybody. I'm working most people, not everybody. I'm working, you know, one and a half to two weeks every week. And so in five years, I've put in 10 years worth of work, right? And there's an equation of what value you bring to the marketplace. That's how you get paid. And, you know, if you overwork, you should get paid more. And it certainly, you know, it works in sales. You can ask any salesperson. You just, the more you work, the more sales you get. Is it the wisest strategy? It's definitely a strategy, right? And, and when you're making all those mistakes too for 10 years, you're getting double the life lessons in a 10-year period. But I would much rather be a person that could coach people on, on having a work-life balance from the beginning. And if you were able to invest wisely and you know had some things go your way and you were prudent about it, I, I think maybe one thing I did learn early, which was useful for one of my coaches, and this was probably five years in when I was really struggling, he goes, the first thing I do every year is I book a killer vacation every quarter. So even though I he was working 100 hours a week or 80 hours a week, he would book four killer vacations. And that was the most important thing to him. So like along the way, I've just gathered all these tools. That's why if you looked at my goals, you'd see the first goal is six epic, you know, six killer little family vacations, one epic. So so you integrate that and you're like, yeah, you're, you might be working really hard, but then you've got those five days in Cabo you're looking forward to or five days in Europe or what, or two weeks in Europe. And, and if you 
you can force balance by having some really good experiences in there as well. But I'm not the guy that could write a book, Garrett, on how to how to live a balanced life and build a bunch of money because I did not live balanced. And well, you wrote this book here. You know, it's called Wealth Can't Wait. So I don't know if you're telling the exact truth here, but let me ask you a question. <laughs> how do you define wealth? Because obviously, obviously, it's money, right? But you know, maybe that's evolved for you over the years. Like, how would you define that now? Well, a wealthy life to me is not just money. A wealthy life, health and wealth are one letter different. Wealth used to be a greeting. People used to say, welly be with you. And it meant like good wealth to you, good, good health to you. It was very similar. It just means I wish everything goes well for you. So it doesn't behoove me to let you be a person that works 100 hours a week, divorces their wife, loses half their assets, and their children don't speak to them, right? Like that to me, that's failure. That's not wealth. You might have a lot of money, but you're still a failure. So for me, wealth has been an expanding world universe that means all these things. It means money. It means managing your money effectively. It means cash flow from investments like financial freedom. But it also means you know being as good a human as you can be, being finding a way to contribute having abundant adventures in your life, being well-learned, you know, like, again, I'm a C student, right? So I'm not stupid, but I'm not an academic. But today I read more books, 40 books a year, 30 to 50 books most years. I listen to books on tape. I'm doing podcasts. It's just that also to me is wealth, having freshness in your brain and having information in your brain. So on wisdom. So to me, wealth is kind of a, a well-rounded approach to life, not just a money thing. So David, you actually created this amazing group called GoBundance. First of all, why did you create it? And, and second of all, why is it important to surround yourselves with the right people? Wow. Well, the second question is so important. Like, I'm just going to go right there, which is the, who <laughs> you are who you surround yourself with. There's just no question. This is life. We are like clay and we're not like God. So we're not molding ourselves with our clay. If your best buds love ultimate Frisbee on the weekend, like I'm playing volleyball all the time, only because I have a bunch of people I really like that play volleyball. Like that's an example of how you're shaped. Unfortunately, when I was early on in sales, sales is a pretty hard business. Everyone around me drank. Guess what? I drank a lot, like not at alcoholic level, but like I drank pretty much every night after work, we would go drink. And I probably did that for those same 10 years that I was working all that time. Right. Today, about half my friends don't drink at all and half drink lightly. So I'm a social drinker. I might drink two or three days a week, period. That's it. Most of my friends today are committed to their health. I'm committed to my health. So who you hang out with is exactly going to determine who you are. And there's just you know, the John Wayne idea that our parents had of being this super huge independent, like, you know, John Wayne died of cancer. Like, so that's just, that, let's be real. Like we are social animals. We're not the kings of this earth because we were able to take on a lion with our bare hands. We're the kings of this earth because we work as a pack, as a tribe to take down all the predators and to build a meat supply and to plant and grow crops and to raise our kids. In fact, the genius of humans is sharing and connectivity. And so you are going to be who you hang around with. And, and once you get that, it's painful. Like when I learned this, I had to shed a few of my friends who were living with their moms and smoking pot every day. Like I still like them. If they called me, I'd still take their call, but I don't call them. I'm not looking for, to, I'm only looking to elevate, right? And, and I've, I've got all the room in the world for you if you want to elevate. 
either as my peer or as someone that I mentor. I mentor bunches, hundreds of people, probably maybe maybe thousands, but I've got all the day and time in the world for somebody striving, like a Diego Corzo, who we all know and love. He's probably been on your show, but he's an amazing guy with just a dreamer who overcame some incredible hurdles and is super positive, is just making a difference in the world. And then having peers that push me and drive me, like not in the old intense way, but in the way of like, hey, did you take your wife on a date night? Hey, have you gotten taken your kids somewhere, you know, like Jim Shields with the family boardroom, have you taken your kids somewhere and done something? So I'm really interested in surrounding myself with people that inspire me because of what they do, where they're a genius that I can then draw from, and then I can share my genius with them. So every single part of my life is about finding those better people. In fact, recently I met David Sinclair. I don't know if you've heard of David Sinclair, but he wrote Lifespan. And I just engaging in a contract to hire him as my concierge doctor. So that's that's how addictive I am to like surrounding myself with great people. I'm either going to earn my relationship with you because I'm cool and you're cool and you want to be around me, or I'm going to pay you either way. Like I'm going to pay David Sinclair a significant amount of money to be my concierge doc. Well, part of the journey was Fred Gross, who wrote Black Belts of the Mind. He's, an, he's a great coach. He's in New Zealand. And he's a rabbi and all kinds of cool stuff. He uh, he taught this class. And in this class, he said, pick someone out and that's going to be your accountability partner. So I picked out this guy, Pat Hyben, in 1997. That began a journey of from 1997 to this day, Pat and I having a transparent, authentic life with one another where we shared all our troubles, all our struggles. And we also shared our tax returns, our goals, our missions, our financials, our investments, everything. And uh, our health, our fat, our body fat, our systolic, systolic, everything. And uh, it was very fruitful. And it helped me transform my life as a 29-year-old something guy that met this other 29-year-old something guy. And then in that journey, we met a guy, Tim Road, who joined in with us. So the three of us became accountability partners. And we created a, a all three of us are financially free. We're married to our same wives. We have kids. Well, actually, no, Tim's been divorced. I'm not judging divorce or marriage. What I'm saying is, we became a village where we all worked hard together to be holistic human beings that were successful in a wide range of areas. Well, Garrett, we reached a point where we were sick of one another's stories. We were just tired. We loved what we'd created, but we we're like, we got, there's got to be a new person in here somewhere. So, and then we also said, let's stop going to conferences all the time and let's go do bucket list adventures. So we had these two pieces and we invited three guys to join us in 2011, and they all said yes. We climbed Kilimanjaro. We, the next year, we went to the Camino de Santiago and the world's biggest tomato fight. And the next year, we formalized GoBundance. We're like, well, this one guy joined us from Tony Robbins. He goes, you guys have something here. This is actually really cool that the world needs this, and we should create this as a place for men to grow stronger together, man to sharpen man and create this transparency, authenticity, goal-driven, alpha, you know, holistic health relationship, fatherhood, husbandry, whatever kind of an environment. And we went like 11, 23, 45, 100. Now we're up to 500 and it's all been super organic. In fact, we almost made it a nonprofit because we didn't do it to start to make money. We did it to kind of expand what we were doing. And now it is a profitable business and it's super fun. But what's most fun about it is people come up to me all the time and they're like, the tribe, this is amazing. Like there's just not, not enough places where people are authentic and transparent with people. And yet all of the growth comes from authenticity, vulnerability, and transparency. 
If you just beat your chest about how great you are, you can't grow. You can say like, look, I'm crushing this one area. I'm richer than anybody. Look at me. I got a private plane. In the meantime, if your kids hate you or your wife's about to divorce you and you're not sharing that, and that's what a lot of people do. They want to look good. Facebook is notorious for only the good stuff. But if you can actually be with four or five guys and in a tribe where our culture is to be authentic and you can say, hey, I'm, I'm a little concerned. Like I'm making all this money, but my wife and I were just getting colder and colder. Then there's going to be like, you know, there's going to be all these, oh, that's the exact same thing I go through. Like, oh, that's exactly how it is for me. Like one thing I learned about being a father and a husband is in business, you're like, we're charging that hill. Let's go. And everyone follows you. If you look back for your wife and kids, they're like, we don't want to climb that hill. You know, they might early on when they first marry you and they're trying to please you. But when they've been with you long enough, they're like, no, you go have fun. I'm just going to eat popcorn and watch a movie today. You're like, oh, and you learn that all the things you've built, or I learned all the things I've done to build business. It's like families. Some of it's useful in family, but mostly in family, it's more about presence and time and really seeing the other person and trying to find what they need and give them what they need instead of what you think they need. And so that's been a huge journey for me. And so many guys have helped me in go abundance with that because I for sure was not the best husband of all time earlier. You know, I'm a good one now, but I think early on I was like, I'm working. This is my deal and I'm doing it to provide for you. So just, you know, deal with that. Now I'm now I'm much kinder. Now she runs me. <laughs> the GoBundance is a, a, an unusual group of guys, I got to say, because the, the tolerance for BS is very low there. If you yes. start talking about how, how much money you made, first of all, it doesn't oppress anyone. And, and further, they'll start asking you about, well, how is your health? How is your yeah. relationship with your wife? And you're like, what is going on right now? Like, you're, you know, your, your definition of success is totally different. And the authenticity and the extreme accountability is is also pretty unusual. So uh, for all listening, watching this, guys, check it out at GoBundance.com. Uh, it's really, really cool community as well. But what do you think, like, you've had a lot of lessons in, in life and you've had successes and, and failures that you had to go through. What are some of those key lessons that you learned that you'd like to just pass on? Yeah, I think number one is to know where you're going. Like if you don't have a vision for your life, the first person you meet each day that has one for you gives you one. So I think the number one overriding vision for my life, for me as a man, as a person, and again, this is a man or woman as a human, let me reframe that so I don't use old language, is to know where you want to go, to be purposeful. Like you have to find your purpose for life. I think the most amazing thing about being a human is we can think and strategize and, and, and decide where we want to go. And your life will either come to you by default or by choice. And so to me, that means reflecting, taking time, journaling or typing or whatever. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. You don't have to become an author. You don't have to become a literature person, but you know, take a journal or just go sit somewhere with your thoughts and think like, is my life working for me? And if not, how would I like it to look different? And start being a part of co-creating the vision you have for your future. And the most successful people I know are always the most purposeful people. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, Scott Harrison with Charity Water that's raised, you know, probably $100 million right now and has brought clean water to, I don't know, 7 million people. And that's his mission in life. And he doesn't take a huge salary from that business. I mean, he's, he's just, that's his mission, but he's purposeful. And I've had him speak for us a couple of times, but most of the time I try to get him to speak. He says, I can't, I'm too busy. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, right? And why is that? Because he's a purposeful person. To the billionaire I know, Gary Keller, he's, he's always purposeful. There's always something going on. He's got an agenda, he's got a mission and he's moving forward that a, a mission. To the guy that's 
you know, David Sinclair, who's trying to extend life. He's not money driven, but his he's got a mission and he's driven by that mission. So we as humans have the ability to choose that and refine it on a continuous basis. And for me, that's the overriding difference between happiness and sadness. You know who's not happy? I have a I have a relative, a cousin who's 20-something years old, 24, I guess, and, and lives with his mom and plays video games and is overweight and can't figure out why he's not happy. And I don't know how to put that in him. Honestly, I don't have a pill that'll drop that in him. I know for me, it was a process of looking, looking, working on shedding, cutting, carving, refocusing, getting lost, getting discouraged, refocusing, reminding myself of my mission, getting back on my vision, driving, driving, getting lost, falling into the mud, getting out of the mud, cleaning myself off, getting back on. And over that, now today, you see this extremely focused, extremely driven, extremely mission-based human being that has a lot of good stuff going on, but that's not where it started. It started as a goofy, lost 20-year-old somebody, rather, who just would write goals down and then never look at them and never do them. So I was completely out of authenticity, completely out of integrity. Uh, I was chubby. I wasn't in shape. I wasn't, you know, like, I wasn't a great husband. I had a kid and I wasn't a great dad to that kid. Like, just so many things that weren't going right, but I just kept dusting myself off and forgiving my weaknesses and trying to figure out how to get a little bit better. And then getting a little bit better over 30 plus years makes you great. And that's that's the journey that I think everyone should be on. A one of compassion, self-forgiveness, and then getting back on top of your mission and trying again on a continuous basis. And you'll weigh, I never expected it to be where I am today. I, you underestimate what you can do in 10 years and you overestimate and get impatient with what isn't happening in three months. So you try it for three months, you get discouraged and you quit or you just keep plugging away. And then suddenly I look at my life today. I'm like, I had no idea I would be in this place. I did not start out expecting to be this wealthy. I didn't start out expecting to have a private plane. I just tried to get a little bit better every day. So that mission is number one for me. Yeah. Absolutely. The second, the second one would be just be family. Like um, I, you don't get a do over with your kids. So if you have kids, you know, they're in your house for 18 years and they can't really communicate with you for the first two. And then the last six, they may or may not want to hang out with you. So you really got like about a 10 year window to be with your kids. Take that time, man. Figure out how to carve that into your schedule. Like Moses carved the 10 commandments and just, uh, you know, I, I have a 33-year-old and I didn't do that. I did spend time. I don't regret it. I love her. And I did a pretty de- as good a job as I was capable of doing in that time. But yeah, if I could do that one over, I would I would do that. But with my new one, my new, my 12 and my four, I'm I'm really making that time. And, and so that's that's a big one. And then your the, the the wife is, you know, who you marry is so important. And once you marry them, you're you've got to invest in that relationship just like, you know. You're showing to your kids how to treat a woman, or if you're a woman, how to treat a man. You're you're setting the standard for them for their entire lives. So uh, that relationship piece has become more and more important to me as I've aged. That's awesome, David. Uh, I could talk to you all day, but if people want to learn more about you, where where could they go? Yeah, I think I have davidosborne.com, and I also have I am David Osborne on Instagram. Income to go abundance. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into giving back to others and contributing through my experiences of life. So doing this with you is an honor. I love what you're up to. Uh, there's so many, I've got probably 20 podcasts I try to follow on my phone. I don't, obviously don't make all the shows, but 
there's so much more information. When I was a kid, you had to have cassette tapes. Right? You'd order these cassette tapes and then you'd stick them in your car and you'd lose one and you'd have the series. And today it's like all at your fingertips. And, you know, it's, but what you're doing changes lives. I mean, it's all about knowledge, information and connection. And you're doing that by sharing with these folks. So I'm just honored to be a part of it. That, that's how you'd find me those in those locations. That's awesome, Dave. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Pleasure to be with you, Michael. Thanks, Garrett. Man, Michael, what a fantastic conversation with David. Uh, so one of the things that he talked about is that, you know, it's not just about money. Being wealthy is about having your health, your family. I think that it that is super compelling. Yeah, that's one thing that strikes me about GoBundance as well. They do track uh, business and finance, but they have other things that they track, meaning health, relationships, spirituality, how much you're giving. And uh, you know, they hold you accountable. They want you to set goals in each of those areas. And, and that in its entirety is what they consider wealth. And it's so important because if you have money and you don't have your health or you don't have your relationships, like what good is it? So he, he's, uh, he, he brings up a really good point. Sometimes we focus a little bit too much on, on money as well. I also like what he said about some of the key lessons, like know where you want to go. And it sounds so simple, but it's so hard. Like answer the question, like right now, listening, watching this, well, where do you want to go? What do you want in life right now? And it's not necessarily an easy question to answer. And it does require quite a bit of reflection, which is why I still do the miracle morning. Um, I've clarified where I'm going quite a bit, but but every time you you got to get clarity in a variety of different different ways. So that really struck out to me. And interesting, a lot of successful people keep bringing up the whole concept of clarity, being clear about what you want. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because you actually start to manifest these things when you have that clarity and you're, you know, if you think about it often enough and you start to just believe it, that you're going there, that's, that's what you want. And it can change and pivot. But I remember I had pretty interesting and I, and I don't mean this to be in any way boastful or anything, but I, when I was like, I think I was 19 years old, I was like, by the time I am 28, I want to be I want to have been a millionaire. I want to become a millionaire by the time I'm 28. And so when I was 28, like on the dot, that's when, when I got bought out of my entire company, my first company, therefore achieving that status. And I was like, I can't believe that this manifests itself. And it happened all these years later. Like it was just the most shocking thing. But I thought about that pretty often over those years, over a long period of time. And it was crazy to see that it actually happened in that. And I, I think that could be true for anything. And so I think that's such a, such a great thing to have. Other thing he talked about was that I really, and I really love this is that we're, you know, the Kings of the earth, not on our own, but because we share in kind of, and connectivity and teams and who we surround ourselves with. So that, that was pretty cool for me to hear. Yeah, and then just the whole idea about being around people that you want to be around. And I, one thing David didn't didn't talk about is, so, but he makes it a point to to meet one on one with one billionaire every single year. For example, he hangs out with Richard Branson, which is really super cool. And uh, you know, just check out uh, GoBundance, GoBundance.com, and it's something that I joined a year ago. Really loving it. 
So if you want to hang out with me four times a year, go to GoBundance.com. There's also a great book that that uh, David Osborne wrote called Tribe of Millionaires. He co-wrote it with Pat Hyben, who we mentioned uh, on the show here. That is a fantastic book. It's it's not a commercial for GoBundance. It's really more about uh, surrounding yourself with the right kind of people and the impact it has on your on your life. So that's called Tribe of Millionaires. And again, if you want to join our tribe of dealmakers, go to uh, themichaelblank.com forward slash DMM. That's our dealmaker mastermind. And we are currently working on active deals. Garrett's always finding new deals. In fact, we're, we're in the process of closing run right now. Uh, we'd love to have you talk to us if you're interested in investing in one of these multifamily syndications. So go to nighthawkequity.com. That is our investment company. And click the join button. You can fill out a short form and schedule a call with us. With us. We'd love to have a conversation with you. All right. So guys, make sure you surround yourself with the right people. And we'll catch you guys next episode. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading the free blueprint on closing your first multifamily deal. Head over to themichaelblanc.com slash blueprint to get the free training.